Thanks, Meg. Guys, do tend to uh, your Bibles, whether in physical form or on your phone. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first 11 verses together. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. And uh, as Meg has just mentioned, we're looking uh, at this uh, theme over the, la- the past two weeks and over the next two weeks of our family home. This is our family home. And today we're specifically looking at what it looks like uh, to believe and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's turn to the word of God firstly. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in the middle of a sermon series on our family home where we're asking God what kind of family do the scriptures as the Bible teach us to be? Two weeks ago, Brogan spoke to us and looked at how we as family, where everyone is involved and everyone plays their part, no one is more important than anyone else. And last week, Adam spoke to us and took us through how we are called to be the kind of family where we serve one another, where we prefer one another, love one another sacrificially. And today, we're looking at our family home where we teach the gospel. Church, we are a community that is shaped not by culture, not by our own preferences, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to help us uh, journey our way through this today, Paul makes three points in this passage that we've just read. The first one that I want us to take on board is this, that we must remember the gospel. We must remember the gospel. Secondly, we must know the story of the gospel. And thirdly, 
We must know and live in the power of the gospel today. So let's look firstly at what it means to remember the gospel. You know, in ancient times, the gospel simply meant good news. And it was used regularly. It was used all of the time to describe any good news happenings of the time. And Paul is reminding us here in this passage that there is just one gospel that we are to both receive and stand in. There's just one. And at the moment, if you think about it with your own life, there's so many narratives and worldviews that could determine the culture of any group of people, including us, right now. We must be aware of who and what forms our social behaviors and lifestyle habits. We must be aware of those things. What determines your worldview? We live in a society right now, don't we, where the emphasis is all about me. It's all about me, the individual. It's all about my choice and my decision. And we sometimes fail to understand the consequences of that. Because it's never just me that our decisions and choices affect. When the emphasis is just purely and simply on me, we kid ourselves into believing that I am the good news for my life. And we are not. We cannot and are not the saviour of our own lives. The gospel, and only the gospel of Jesus, is good news for our lives. St. Augustine of Hippo said this, If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. You know, and the same was true for the the people in Corinth at this time. The people whom Paul was writing to. The city had a particular culture that the church was planted into. Aspects of unhealthy culture of Corinth were seeping into the church. And so in these verses, Paul said to the church this, Remember the gospel. Verse 1. Take your stand on the gospel. Just to put that into perspective, in, in Corinth, one popular uh, form of worship at the time was for men to go to the temple and sleep with prostitutes. The sex ethic was very different to that of the Bible. And Paul says to the church, let the gospel determine your worldview. In our day right now, the media has so much power, doesn't it, to determine our story if we let it. And social media is very fickle. We see something on social media and we believe that everyone thinks the same thing. And we're left thinking, hmm, well I must be wrong if I don't think that. And if I don't do what they're doing, then I'm wrong. I'm really bad for that. I see book recommendations all of the time that people sharing on Twitter. And I think, oh well, you know, I kind of like following that person. I'll buy the book that they're recommended. My bookshelves are full of books Well, I've read the first chapter and thought, why on earth did I ever take your recommendation? 
You know, news changes every day, doesn't it? The gospel message of Jesus Christ for you and for me never changes. And we have the ability to choose the narrative of our own lives. But what will we choose? As the church, brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus must define who we are. We don't change the gospel The gospel changes us. And Paul says, by this gospel, you are saved. So we must hold firm to the word of God. To the word Paul preached and reminded us of. Why do we need to hold firm? Because if we let go of the word of God in our lives, Paul warns us that we will have believed in vain and we are a family that stands firmly on the truth of the gospel we're a family here that teaches the gospel and we choose to not let go of it so here's the application for you and and for me today what we're standing on instead of standing on the truth maybe it's something else What are we standing on that we need to name today? That we need to acknowledge in our own lives and act on? And let's ask the Holy Spirit to move in us today so that we would stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. So we must remember the gospel. But you might be sat here today and you're thinking, okay, I I will remember the gospel. But what is the gospel? What is it? And this leads us on. Point two. We must know the story of the gospel. Let's look at verses three to eight of this passage. What is this gospel that saves? Paul did not make this gospel up. And it is not Paul's gospel. He received it as truth. You know, the wonderful thing about history is it's all about his story. It's God's story. And so what is this story that we need to hold so dearly to us? You know, we've got it totally wrong if we think that it's all about a list of ideals, teaching, values, habits, rules, disciplines, opinions, myths, or philosophies, and not the gospel of Jesus The gospel of Jesus is about real historical events concerning Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and how that saves us. How these things about Jesus' life were prophesied long before they even happened. In other words, the gospel is news to us. It's not advice, it is news. And verse 3, if we take a look, Paul reminds us that the gospel is the most important message in the world. In fact, his own language, he says this, it's of first importance. It's number one. This isn't just another story, another book on the shelf. It is a matter of life and death. It isn't just another news channel that we we put on. 
It's something that we don't mind and we choose to have on permanently, 24-7, in the living room of our own lives. The gospel is the way God was always going to save his people. How? Have we remembered how? Verse 3, Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Jesus on the cross took on the sins we have committed. He bore the punishment for those sins and he died in our place. We deserve to be there. Not him, but he did it for you and for me. The prophet Isaiah, long before Jesus stepped on earth, he put it powerfully. He said, he is despised, speaking of the Messiah, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. It was our sin that held him there. He wasn't a martyr for a cause He literally died for you and for me so that we can be free. And church, the story doesn't just end there. Amazing as that is, it gets better. Verse 4, we discover that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus not only defeated sin, he defeated Death. He rose to life again. And we know this because the scriptures tell us he was buried. And you don't bury someone who isn't dead. And you can't rise from the dead if you're not dead. So we know it to be true. You see, the burden and anguish of having to deal with the consequences of our own sin have been dealt with by the ultimate act of love by Jesus on the cross. And it gets better. If the cross was the payment for our sins, if the cross was the payment for our sins, the resurrection is the receipt that the perfect Son of God made perfect payment for our sins. Jesus rose on the third day, just as he said he would. We know the gospel of Jesus is a credible story. Jesus' work on the cross, it wasn't an accident. It had been planned for all eternity, and prophets, as we've just heard from Isaiah, have spoken about it since the ancient of days. In Matthew chapter 12, We're here for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
Jesus is greater than Jonah. You see, the resurrection is proof that Jesus conquered death. His resurrection changes everything. And one day there will be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, and there'll be no more death. The resurrection of Jesus fills us with hope and promise that God himself has rescued us from the verge of death. And not only that, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has raised us from the dead. Verses 5 to 8, if we take a look. He is alive today, and he appeared to his disciples. Paul lists all of these people, not just ones and twos, but hundreds of people. Jesus has met since his resurrection. And we know today, don't we? We only need to look around this room today to know that Jesus is still meeting with people, even for the first time. This story, the gospel story, is your story, is my story. And church, as family here at St. Thomas's, we are committed to playing our part in the gospel story in this city and beyond. It's not something we just do on a Sunday. We get to be part of it together, day in, day out, wherever it is that God has called us. Story isn't just for us. It's for everybody. Who is it in your life who needs to know the gospel story of Jesus Christ? We have all died to sin and have risen to new life in Jesus. That's what we believe as followers of him. And so this is our story. And this is why we are so excited and we keep going on about it. That with our new building, which we're hoping to move in very, very soon, we have put in the biggest, hugest, momentous of all baptistries right in the center of the church. And we've done that because we believe that through baptism, we die to our sin and we rise to new life with the risen Jesus Christ. And we believe that for ourselves and we believe it for the whole world. We long to see many, many more people come to faith in him and to be baptized You know, we are a family with a shared story. And my story, personally, is in many ways the same as yours. I was dead in my sin, and I've risen to new life in Jesus. And this is why we can do the things we can do the things we've been looking for and at over the past two weeks. Preferring the other, loving one another. It's because we share the same family story. Isn't that amazing? We share the same story. And if you're new here today, and if you've just moved to Newcastle from somewhere else for university, even though we've we've maybe never ever met before, 
we share the same story in Jesus Christ. The same family history. And we are so happy that you are here. And you are so, so welcome. So how do we make sure that we get the story of Jesus Christ that is written in this book? How do we make sure it's so deep within us that we live it out day in, day out? That we become part of the story? What can that look like for you and for me? And this takes us on to my third point, verses 9 to 11. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Look at what Paul says here about how the gospel message changed his life. In verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Is that how you feel maybe this morning? I don't deserve to be a follower of yours, Jesus. You know, Paul went from persecuting the church, being an enemy of God, full of anger and full of sin. But then in verse 10, he tells us that it was the grace of God that came into his life and turned him into an apostle, a leader of the church. How on earth is that possible? How can you go from murdering Christians, as Paul did, to leading them? Only by the grace of God. And that grace must have power. You see, the truth about the gospel is that it certainly does have power. Power to change my life, power to change your life. Tim Keller We love him lots here. He said, When we freely choose to follow Christ, we also choose to give up living according to our own desires, but to submit to his loving authority. Why did so many people in the Roman Empire turn to the Christian faith, even though it was the most persecuted religion in the world and carried significant social consequences for believing at the time? Because there is power in the, gos- in the gospel of Jesus. It's because there's power in the gospel of Jesus. You see, the gospel is both offensive and attractive. Hmm? Why is it? Well, it's offensive because we've got to acknowledge that there is nothing that you or I can do that will save us. There's nothing you can do that will save you. But it's attractive because you and I can be saved all because of what Jesus has done for us. This is the gospel message that Paul is carrying. And he knows himself the weight, the burden of sin that he committed. In fact, he called himself the chief of sinners. But now, he lives freely in the forgiveness and the grace of what Jesus has offered him. Don't we all want that for ourselves? Verse 10, let's take a look. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. 
Paul gives the grace of God all of the credit for his change in life. Complete transformation. He knew it wasn't anything that he had done, but everything that God had done. You see, grace saves us and grace changes us. And we can't help but be changed when we receive the grace of God. Philip Yancey, who wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, recommend you read it, he, um, he says this, Grace means there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I who deserve the opposite, I am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. By the way, that is a book I really recommend you buy. Not just, you know, to put on the bookshelf. Grace isn't given because of anything that we have or ever will do. It's wholly undeserved. It's not dependent on us. It's freely given. So we don't work for it. But when we receive it, we cannot help but choose to live in partnership with what God is doing among us. We become agents of grace and change in the world today. Don't we want to be agents of change in the world today? And this is what Paul is talking about when he says this. He says, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, when we receive the grace of God, our work, whatever it is we do or what that looks like for us, it doesn't become about us. But our work in whatever sphere we are called to reflects the wondrous, the generous commitment of God to us. His grace propels us to do everything we put our hands and our minds to with all that we have because our life's work becomes an offering of worship to him. You see, it's not about me. It's all about him. The gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed my life. I've told many stories of what my life was like before I met Jesus at the age of 10. I was a mischievous boy. Well, I still am, kind of. But <laughs> things radically changed. You know, I was just thinking this morning how me and my mates used to go down Groville Road. It was the best road in the land. It basically, after school, every, every kid on the street came out. There was about 100 of us. And it was chaos. And I was a little bit of a ringleader. And uh, we used to, you know, if it got a little bit boring, I used to say, all right, let's play Knock Knock Ginger. Anyone played Knock Knock Ginger? Do you know what that is? Okay. So basically, uh, you knock on someone's door and you run off, you leg it. And then you wait until they open the door and they're like... Then you go back 10 minutes later and you do it again. All right? And then you can crank it up a little bit and you can start throwing eggs. So this is, I'm confessing, right? Don't do this now. Obviously, this was my life before Jesus. 
And I met Jesus, and things changed within me. I was like, how dare I knock on someone's door when they might be just enjoying their bangers and mash or watching television, and I've made them leave their place, whatever they're doing, to open the door and for them to be completely spooked because there's no one there at all, then to do it again and for them to have to clean an egg off their window. Jesus convicted me of all of that, and I've not done it since. I don't think. But you see, the church in Corinth was a group of people whose lives uh, were being transformed. And when a group of people are transformed, what happens? It impacts a region. Do you know that changed lives change lives? Changed lives change lives. The gospel has the power to change not only you and I, but entire regions and the power to change the world. St. Thomas's, our beautiful family. This church community has preached the gospel for many, many years. And it has seen times of when this city of Newcastle has been radically transformed. When we've, we've seen people in their hundreds and thousands come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. They've discovered the gospel, the story of Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've been hearing bits of our own story at St. Thomas's when a couple of hundred years ago, or less than, there were 900 under 18s in our church family. You know, we believe that God can do it again. In our schools, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our homes, among our friends. He can do it again. We must remember the story of the gospel and we must also know the power that is within it. And we can live in the full power and authority that the Holy Spirit gives and see many, many lives transformed by him. So church, what do we need to do? What three things are we going to take away today? It's this. Firstly, we need to remember the gospel. Secondly, we need to know the story of the gospel. And thirdly, we need to know and live in the power of the gospel today. Hold firm and stand tall. Amen.